Well, it is amazing to see you. Um, wow. I'm gonna t- I gotta take a selfie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm so- you know, I, sorry about that, but that's just the way it is, you know? I got it. All right. That's, I can tell you when, um, when Sarah and I moved down here seven years ago in the Johnny Harris Banquet Hall, uh, and the elders and the, and the 20 or so folks there, wow, we would never... We would never imagine this, so praise the Lord for that. I'm going to pray, and uh, we're just going to, we're going to talk about why we're here. So let me pray. Bow with me. Father in heaven, I, I'm humbled and in awe of you and uh, the songs we have sung and what your son has done for us uh, here in the power of Christ and the love of Christ and the death of Christ, I stand and we stand. I just ask, Lord Jesus, and in this room and in all throughout the world today, as people gather to celebrate you, that you would be exalted. We are just a small, small, small piece of the body of Christ uh, and what you're doing. Uh, and one day, there will be myriads and myriads of people standing around the throne. This is nothing compared to that day. And they will all be worshiping the lamb who was slain. Uh, and so this is just a little taste of that. Uh, but until that day, Lord, I just pray that we would be found faithfully loving you, serving you, um, just in all of you. I pray for our time in your word this morning as we celebrate. Uh, I pray that you would use me, a sinner, a broken man who is so needy and, and doesn't deserve to be up on this stage, is not worthy, but you are, you are. And so I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on me uh, and then use me in a way that only, only you can so that Christ is exalted, so he is lifted high. It's in his holy name we pray, amen. All right, so why are we here? Besides the fact that I don't want to preach four services on one Sunday a year, um, which is very nice, by the way. Um, We're here to celebrate, really, the greatest event in human history, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I had a mildly exciting celebration this week. I crossed a huge barrier. I am now in my 40s, all right? Okay, yeah. They say it's the new teens. We'll find out, right? I'm officially shrinking now, which is not a good thing. Um, And we had a mild celebration, but that is nothing compared to the celebration of why we are here today. To celebrate the greatest event in human history. It's it's the event of events. It's the story of stories. It's the, the greatest rescue mission ever. It's the greatest tragedy ever. It's the greatest comeback victory ever. It's the greatest love story ever. And all I want to do this morning is simply tell it again, for us to just remember it and think about it, and maybe a new and fresh way, but maybe in an old way, but just to celebrate why it is we're here. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back almost 4,000 years, 1,900 years before Bethlehem, 1,900 years before Mount Calvary, and look at why we Celebrate, And you say, well, Bill, I don't know much about the Bible, but I know 1,900 years, 1,900 years. We're going to go back all the way to the beginning to the book of Genesis. There's no Easter in Genesis. There's There's no Jesus in Genesis. Au contraire, mon frere. I beg to differ. He is there because what we're going to see today, before time began, 
The plan was for God the Father to send God the Son because of his great love for us to rescue us and to save us because of his great love. And it was there from the beginning. And what God did in the Old Testament is he dropped hints and prophecies and he announced what he would do. And he may not have named the name Jesus, but he was telling everything he was going to do. So that when the New Testament writers show up, they, they, they make very clear what was there all the time. So it's as if there's this curtain that, that's been lifted. Oh, I see it. It was there all the time. Why, I, I see it now. Right? It's there. It's kind of like a few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching Bill Cosby. And, and my eyes were lifted a little bit to the game of chess. I used to think the game of chess was about fighting and manliness and strategy and war and bravery. But I realized that it is a game created by women to subliminally take over the world. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. What is the object of the game? To kill who? The king. <laughs> right? Who, by the way, is the most defenseless, helpless, weak guy on the board? There he is. He can go one step. <laughs> Meanwhile, who can go wherever she wants? <laughs> In any direction. Killing anybody she thinks is in her way. <laughs> now, see, you will never see chess the same. Your eyes have been open. See? But that, in some ways, I'm just kidding, of course. But in some ways, the Old Testament is like that, where it's dropping hints and, and it's there. And the New Testament writers, they show what was there all the time. What, what, the, what the plan was. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at it. And we're going to celebrate it. And so if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis. It's the very, very first book in the Bible. Open the first few pages, and we're going to look at chapter 22. Genesis chapter 20. And if you don't have one and you didn't pick one on the way in, we'll get it on the screen too, I think. Maybe. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Good. And, and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a story of a dad. A dad and his boy. A dad named Abraham. And, and here's the backdrop of what's going on. Abraham is 75 years old, and he is childless which is a bad thing in those days, right? He doesn't have an heir. And God shows up one day and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. But 25 years later, he still doesn't have a kid. He's 99 years old. His wife is 89. And God shows up again and says, get the nursery ready. Next year this time, you're going to have a baby. And his wife, Sarah, laughs because it's funny, old people having babies. That's a funny thing, Okay. And so she laughs, and God says, okay, we're going to call the boy laughter, Yitzhak, Isaac, because you laughed. And sure enough, a year later, who shows up? Isaac, right? Abraham's 100 years old, and he, Abraham loves his son. He waited for his son. He prayed for his son. He has hopes and dreams for his son. He loved his boy. So we're going to look at a story about those two. And so in chapter 22, it starts out saying this, after these things. And after these things is 20 to 30 years after Isaac has been born. He is a man now. Josephus, the historian, the first century Jewish historian, says he was 25 years old. So he's in his 20s. He's a grown man. He has had plenty of time to go fishing with his dad and throw ball with his dad and have a conversations with his dad. They were tight. They were close. They had a great life together. Right? It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God tests Abraham. We're given information that Abraham doesn't know, but we know that God is testing him. And that's the best kind of test when you don't know you'll be tested, right? 
Because if you can prepare for the test, then you can, you can get ready. The true results are seen when you don't know. It's kind of like a cop. There's no signs on Truman that say, in one mile, there is a cop, and he will be checking for speed. Why? Because all of y'all be, sinners going 85 <laughs> would slow down to 55. So what do they do? They hide behind a tree, and they get you. So it's a test that you don't know. That's the idea. Abraham does not know he is being tested. And God says, Abraham, and he calls out, here I am. In verse 2, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Notice the progression. It's like it's building the suspense. With each, sense, each word, he's twisting the knife. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, the center of your emotional world, the center of your social world. This is your heir. He gets everything. Take the center of your world, and I want you to offer him on a burnt offering. And that involves laying your hands on the offering as a, as a symbol of that being your substitute, and then taking out a knife and dismembering the sacrifice, and then burning the sacrifice. And, and God asks him to do this. And you say, how can God ask him to do this? Remember, it's a test, right? God is trying to strengthen his faith, and God wants to show his faith to us who are living 4,000 years later. God doesn't want him to actually do it, but he is going to test his faith to prove his faith to us and to himself, right? And so that's the test. You say, how will he respond? I mean, he's got the most precious thing in his life, his son, but then this, the greatest love in his life, his Lord. What is he going to do? How will he respond? Verse 3, really the most amazing verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He gets up early. Early bird gets the worm. He, he gets up early. He saddles his donkey. That's like packing the SUV, right? He gets the, cuts the wood himself for the burnt offering, and he's a big wig. He's the top dog, and he's cutting his own wood. He's loading it into the SUV. He gets a couple guys with him, and he heads on his way to kill his son. Normally, I'm sure him and his boy had gone on multiple camping trips, right? Three-day camping trips all the time. What dad doesn't love to go on a camping trip with his boy? We're going in a couple weeks, me and my youngest too. They're excited. Dad, we get to go take no baths for two days? No baths. We get to eat marshmallows and bacon, marshmallows and bacon. We get to go run around and shoot things with, throw rocks, whatever. Go do it, right? Normally, this would be a great occasion for them to go away for three days. And you can imagine the conversations around the fire at night, just kind of poking the stick in the fire. Dad, what are we going to do in the fall with the sheep? And when do you think I'm going to meet that, that special lady, Dad? What do you think I'm going to get married and, and have some kids? And dad, remember, what do you think mom's doing back at, right now? She's probably worried about us, isn't she, dad? Remember Uncle Lot? Remember that dumb time you had to rescue Uncle Lot, that bonehead? Remember Uncle Lot? And just conversations around the fire, and he knows where he is going. And on the third day, verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. He makes this telling statement. I, and the, I and, the, and the boy will go over and worship and come again to you. He's got to be thinking in his mind, we have to come back. God promised this boy, he, he, would, be, he would be that promised child. He promised me that he would be that seed that, that would bless many. 
that in him all the nations of the world will be blessed. He promised me I'd be the father of many nations. And he's it. He's got to somehow come back. I don't know how, but he's got to somehow. So he makes this great statement. And then verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He's, he's, he's 100, 130 years old. Son, this wood's too heavy for me. Can, can you carry it for me, Isaac? Yeah, Dad. I'll carry the wood for you. Here, and he puts each piece on his back one at a time. Meanwhile, knowing that he is going to light this wood on fire with his boy on top of it, piece by piece. And then he takes the instruments of death, the knife, and the fire, and he heads off. And notice it says in verse 6 that they went together. They both of them went together, and this is a great Hebrew word that means in unity. They, father and son, are in unity. They're going in oneness. They're going together. And they start going, verse 7, and Isaac says to his dad, Father, my father. He says, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, yeah, buddy, what's up? Dad, we've done this a bunch of times before, and we always had a lamb. Where's the, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Talk, talk about a dagger in his daddy's heart. You, you can't read the story apart from the father and the son being a dad. Just seeing that. And what does he respond? One of the most theologically significant verses, I think, in the Old Testament. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And again, it highlights they both went in oneness, in togetherness, again. But he says, God will provide for himself. Now, this is not unusual. Usually, you bring your offering to God. He says, God's going to actually provide his own offering. That's not how it works. But that's what God's going to do. A couple weeks ago, my eight-year-old went to my wife and said, I want to make you breakfast in bed. And then said, can you come help me make the breakfast for you in bed? But that's the same idea. You're bringing this. Wait, that's not how it works. I stay in bed. You bring strawberries and pancakes. That's the way it works. Right? But that's the idea. God is going to provide his own offering? That's, that's unique. So what happens? Verse 9. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And, and you can just imagine, would you be in a rush? You know, rock here. Maybe taking a breath. And another rock. And then he gets the wood out and he puts the wood slowly and painstakingly accurately on the pile, and then it comes time to get his boy. Now remember, Abraham is over 100 years old, Isaac in his 20s, right? So Isaac can easily out-wrestle his dad, give him a little pile driver, punch to the face, a little nacho libre. I mean, he can do something. He does not have to do this. He can outrun his dad. He is stronger than his dad. And his dad's not standing behind him and all of a sudden jumps him. Right? And so there's got to be a conversation. Son, I'm going to tie you up, and I'm going to put you on this wood. Dad, you, you, want, you want me to lie here on this wood, Daddy? You want, you want, me, to, you want me to die on this wood, Daddy? Son, that's, that's what God said. That's what Dad has said. And he's willing to do it. Because he has to be, because otherwise he can run. That's the kind of relationship he has with his daddy. 
okay, Daddy, I, I, I trust you. And so Abraham takes the knife, verse 10, and he reaches it out, and he lays it, raises it up to slaughter. And it's a graphic Hebrew word. It's used in the sacrifice in the temple and the Passover land. He raises his hand to drop. And it's not a stretch. I can't imagine it's a stretch. For there, you can imagine there's tears running down his daddy's eyes. And tears on his boy. And he's got to be thinking, just want, just Lord, make it quick. Please make it quick. Just one strike. No pain. And he raises his hand. Ah! Abraham! Abraham! The cry goes out. Verse 11. Don't do anything. Right? Do verse 12. Do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. At just the right time, as the knife is coming down, God stops him. He says, don't touch that boy. And at the same time, verse 13, Abraham lifts his eyes and he looks. And behold, and Moses, the author, wants you to see what he sees. It's like he hears rustling and he looks up. And what is there? There's a ram caught in a thicket. There's thorns, and there's a ram that's caught by its thorns in the thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. Key word, instead of his son. Instead, in its place, as its substitute, someone takes the place of Isaac. And he quibbles that and puts that in the offering. In verse 14, he closes and says, So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide Yahweh Jireh. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Right? And there's a story. That's the Easter story. That's why we celebrate. You see it? Maybe some of you are like, I, I think so. Uh, maybe not. Let me, let me zoom in a little bit more. Because there are so many similarities between Jesus Christ and Isaac, the son of Abraham, that line up that that the Holy Spirit is inspiring 2,000 years before Bethlehem. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. This is exactly the way it's going to work. Think about it. Both Jesus and Isaac are both promised sons. Isaac promised 25 years before he was born. Jesus promised in Genesis 3 where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and defeat death. Both of them are miracle babies. One from the dead womb of Sarah when she's 90 years old. One from the virgin Mary's womb. Both Isaac and Jesus are loved dearly by their dad. Isaac lo is loved by Abraham. God the Father says, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. Both Isaac and Jesus went from a place of rest to a place of sacrifice. Isaac living with his dad for 25 years in Beersheba ends up on Mount Moriah. Jesus from the glories of heaven to Mount Calvary. Both went on a three-day journey, Isaac with his dad to a place of sacrifice. Jesus from a place of sacrifice to a place of resurrection, three days. Both are surrounded with two guys with them. Abraham brings two young men with him on their journey. Jesus is crucified in between two men. Right? Both carried their own wood. Abraham puts the wood on Isaac's back, piece by piece. The son of God, after he is beaten and whipped, is with his back completely exposed, has a wooden crossbar placed upon his splintered back and carries his cross up Mount Calvary. 
Both are one with their dads. Isaac is one two times it highlights with his dad. Jesus is one with the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that we had together before the world existed. Both Isaac and Jesus were put on the altar by their dad. Abraham puts Isaac down the altar. Isaiah 53 says that it was the will of the Lord, the will of the Father to crush the son. Both Isaac and Jesus lay their lives down willingly. Right? Abraham has to, to put him down and he has to be willing to do it. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, silent before his shears. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he uttered no threats. Both Isaac and Jesus, get this, they were crucified or offered on the same mountain. Mount Moriah, you know where Mount Moriah is? It's the same place that Solomon eventually builds the temple, and it's the same exact mountain range where Mount Calvary is, where Golgoth is. Same place 2,000 years later. Both Isaac and Jesus were brought back from the dead. Isaac is figuratively brought back from the dead. This is what the writer to Hebrews says. He says, he, Abraham, considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Isaac is figuratively raised from the dead. Jesus is physically raised from the dead. And here's the even cooler part. What's the next thing for Isaac and Jesus after the resurrection? What happens next in Isaac's life? He gets a bride. His dad goes and gets him a bride. What is the next thing for Jesus after his resurrection? The father brings him the bride of Christ, which is the church, which is what you are. And guess what, y'all? Jesus loves his bride. Jesus adores his church. Jesus loves CBC and all the other churches. He loves it. It's as if, this, this is 2,000 years before Bethlehem. It's as if God is saying, can you see it? You see what I'm going to do? Look what I'm doing. This is exactly what's going to happen. There's just one major difference, though. One major difference between Isaac and Jesus. Did you catch it? Isaac gets rescued, right? He says, he says he took the ram and he offers it instead. Isaac gets a substitute. And what does his substitute look like, by the way? His substitute has a crown of thorns. He's caught by his, by his, thorn, by, by his, his horns in, in a thicket, right? And who is the one who provides the substitute? Who is the one who provides the ram? It says that the angel of the Lord is the one who does it. And if you do a, a study in the Old Testament of the, of theologically of who the angel of the Lord is, you'll see that often places when the angel of the Lord shows up, he's no ordinary angel. He is often worshipped. He is identified as God himself. Now, if you think about the Trinity, God the Father is invisible. You cannot see him. God the Holy Spirit is spirit. He cannot be seen. So who shows up? Who's left? The second person of the Trinity a pre-incarnate, a pre-Bethlehem Jesus Christ who has existed for all eternity past. But in the Old Testament, he's identified as the angel of the Lord. Who shows up at just the right time, just when the sword is about to fall, when, this, when it's about to kill Isaac, who shows up and provides a substitute? Jesus shows up. He provides the substitute. That's what happens. And the difference is when Isaac was about to get killed, when Isaac was about to get slaughtered, and there was a cry from heaven, stop! When the hammer is about to drive in the nails in Jesus' hands and feet, there's only silence in heaven. 
and the cry never comes. The only cry is from the Son of God in agony and from the cross when he says, Father, forgive them. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only cry. Where Jesus himself stops the sword for Isaac, God the Father never stops the sword. He pours out all his wrath on his own son, our substitute. And that is what really was fulfilled. Go back to, to Genesis 22. Abraham says, he says, God will provide for himself in verse 8, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You know what's interesting in the story? God never provides a lamb. What does he provide? A ram. It's actually two different Hebrew words. He promises a lamb and he provides a ram. Why is that? Because the lamb wouldn't come for 2,000 years. The lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And even when he closes the section in verse 14, this is great. He says, Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide. It's a future tense. Not the Lord has provided. The Lord will provide. He will and one day provide on this mountain. It shall be, future tense, provided. When was it provided? When the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. When he walked up Mount Calvary. When he walked on the Mount Calvary. And he offered himself as a substitute for you and me. And from the very beginning, y'all, this was the plan. From before time began, the plan was that God would rescue us. That he would rescue us because of his great love. Being our substitute. First Corinthians says this. I delivered you as of, first as of first importance what I received, that Christ, that Jesus died for our sins. He died in our place as our substitute. And notice the phrase, according to the scriptures. That means according to the Old Testament. This was the plan. According to the Old Testament, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That was the plan. All along, that Jesus would die for sins and rise again. And that is why we're here. That's why we rent out the big room. That's why we put on the bow tie. That's why we celebrate. Because God loved you and I so much that he sent his son to die for us and then he rose again. Right? When we were on the verge of death and ruin and destruction because the wages of sin is death, God made us sons and daughters. It is the greatest rescue mission ever. And he did it with the only innocent person who ever lived. The only person that didn't deserve to suffer, the only person that didn't deserve to die, died in our place. Even the Roman centurion said, surely this man was innocent. It is the greatest tragedy. And just when we thought we, we were at the end of our rope, and just when we were at the worst place and all seemed hopeless, he comes out of the grave because it's the greatest comeback victory. And he shows us how he feels about us. This is why we're in Genesis 22 today. You cannot see God the Father and God the Son apart from the relationship of Abraham and Isaac. God, Abraham loves his boy. God the Father loves his son. And when he's sitting there in the garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, sweating drops of blood, he says, Father, if there's any other way, any other way, but your will be done. And the Father, with his heart breaking, because he loves his son, there says there is no other way. This is the only way. And he sends his own son to die on a cross. That is how much he loves you. He would do whatever it took to be with you. That is why we celebrate. And so Romans 8 says this. 
What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not give us graciously all things? This is how much God loves you, y'all. If you can't celebrate God's love today, you can't celebrate God's love. How much does he love you? The only way for you to be with him forever was for him to slaughter his son, and he did it. That's how much he loves you. That's why we sing. That's why we ran out the room. That is why we celebrate. And that was the plan from Genesis 1 all the way to the end. It was planned before Genesis 1, before the foundation of the world. And so if you're a Christian this morning, we're here to celebrate the greatest love story ever. And when we sing, y'all best sing. And when you smile, you best smile. This is a time for us to celebrate God's love for us. Proclaimed in the Old Testament, proclaimed in the New Testament, proclaimed in everything that God loves us and he sent his son. And if you're not this morning a Christian, we're so glad that you are here to join us because we are getting the opportunity to tell you about the greatest love story, that you are separated from God because of your sin, but he does not want that. He sent his son to die for you, and you say, well, I come to church. That's good. That's, that's, that should be enough, right? No, he doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want you to do stuff. He wants you to believe. Believe that what he did was enough, that he died for your sin in your place, that you could do nothing about it, that he took your place, he lived the life you couldn't live, he died on a cross and he rose again. He says, you turn from your sin and believe in me and you can have eternal life. And this is just the beginning. This is one piece. Think about heaven. We got probably 1,800 folks in this room. There's gonna be 18 billion for all eternity around the throne, worshiping, celebrating with joy unimaginable. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. That's why we're here. So today, if you're here as a Christian, celebrate, enjoy, sing loud. And if you're not, my encouragement to you is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and today you'll be saved. For God so loved you, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will have eternal life. And if you have questions about any of that, if you want prayer, we have a, a place in the back of the room set up. And we'll have some guys, gals back there. If you just want to talk, you have questions, call, go back there, call us at the church, love to talk with you. But we're going to celebrate now. We're going to celebrate by singing. And I'm telling you, we got to rock Savannah. The river street should hear us, okay? And that's what we want. So let me, why don't you guys stand and we'll sing and let me pray. Father, you have sent your son, our savior, who loves us. We see it throughout the scripture, Lord. As we celebrate, as we sing, be glorified, be lifted high, be exalted. We, we give him the glory, we celebrate what he has done. We know that he is at your right hand now, we know he is alive. Thank you for 2,000 years before, just showing us what you would do at Calvary. Thank you for letting us be in one room together as a church. It's just fun. It's exciting to celebrate. I just pray for the person here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus. You brought them here. You love them more than anyone else. Open their eyes to your truth. Do they need you? Lord, do they need you and that you love them? It's in Christ's name I pray these things.